Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to BWI Live. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. There's a bunch of stuff to get to today, but nothing more important than the spring game for Penn State football. That's coming up on Saturday. It's finally game week again, at least once, and then we have three more-ish cold months of warm summertime for us to enjoy ourselves, be outside, and go to the beach, and do things that don't involve football. So before then, we're going to celebrate the end of the start of the end of football and talk about the Blue Wake game coming up on Saturday. And to do that, we have a great panel of experts. We'll be talking about the Blue White game and more, but starting with Nate Bauer, our senior editor for Blue White Illustrated on the show, as always. Good afternoon, Nate. What's going on, T. Frank? Why, why would you want to do anything other than watch and talk about football i don't i don't understand it's the so it's the only thing programmed into my brain uh mm. and by the way happy post holiday leftover food day dave eckert is that what's in the fridge behind you absolutely i am loaded up with leftovers it's tremendous <laughs> i've got some got some stew um we've got some some egg casserole which was delightful um yeah it's great uh, what did the Easter Bunny bring you, T. Frank? Did you uh, get anything exciting? No, no. <laughs> uh, not, not to be a total bummer, but uh, yeah, no, nothing. I not even a chocolate bunny. 
No. We do it? No. So, uh, you know, we're in our early 30s. We're married without children. It is very much the low tide of holiday fervor outside of maybe Christmas in, in the car apartment household. So uh, I made my, my contribution to Easter was I made a souffle yesterday morning uh, with some gourmet biscuits. And then I uh, went for a very long bike ride in the afternoon. My blood sugar crashed and I forgot to make dinner. So then basically our, our, our Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving, our Easter ham came out at eight o'clock because it was just a slog. <laughs> but uh, now we've got eight pounds of ham to eat the rest of the week. Nate, what is it like having at least somebody else there to eat food with you? <laughs> uh, see, this is the problem, is it's not food, it's candy. I literally mm. had to put, you know, so look, they've, they've got two grandmothers, right? Uh, my wife and aunts and uncles, uh, all of whom, uh, like, don't take this the wrong way, we appreciate all of it, but... There is more candy in this house right now than any human could possibly consume in really a year. And you have right? like, you have two tiny humans. One of them isn't eating candy yet, right? No, he's he's fourteen months old. Uh, what, yeah. Like, what are we doing here? What what's going <laughs> on with all of this chocolate? I I literally I had to take an empty cardboard box and fill it with the candy because there's not enough room in our pantry on top of the candy that already exists, folks. <laughs> I am begging you, stop sending candy to my house. So it's can I right. can I borrow some and then retroactively yes. give it to Zoe for thanks for Thanksgiving? Jeez, what's wrong with me for Easter? Uh, please take it all, take yeah. half of it, and we'll still be <laughs> fine. So the the other the other struggle is we have one car and I'm landlocked here in the apartment, which is also Nate. Why the only thing I do is watch football and film mm -hmm. and then churn mm -hmm. out content. Uh, but we've got a lot of stuff to get to today. So here on BWI Blue White Game Week, we're going to start off by talking about what's coming up in the Blue White Game. Dave did a great article uh, outlining five questions he wants to know uh, about uh, what we're going to see on Saturday. And that's not enough questions. So if you've got a question, make sure you drop it in the chat because we're taking your questions, we're taking your comments, we're taking uh, your criticisms of not just us, but also the Penn State coaching staff because clearly that's going to come up uh, on uh, the show today. I know, I know, I let that little bit of negativity seep into our Easter conversation, so I apologize. But I'm just like just dropping a little bit of it in because it's going to be coming like food dye in the uh, eggs uh, when you're coloring the eggs in the vinegar. So, your questions in the chat is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and we'll be getting to that throughout the show. If you want to donate to the channel, Super Chats are always super appreciated. Uh, but definitely, your questions, will answer those. And if you do us a favor, one thing that's really important, if you're watching the video, give the video a like. I already see a couple people have done that, so thank you very much. You guys are well-trained. You're a well-oiled machine. But if you're watching for the first time, it's super helpful if you like live videos. That way YouTube goes, oh, people like this. That's, I mean, it's a one-to-one it's -one ratio. And if you want to, share it with your friends so we can have a fun conversation getting ready for the blue-white game. So enough introduction, enough ramble, Nate and Dave. Dave, give us the first question. What's coming up in your mind for the blue-white game? All right. Question number one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Drum You're roll. up. Anybody? What what format will this year's blue-white game take on? 
I should have something uh, fancy up in the graphics, but I don't. So uh, Bradley yeah. says, hey, what's going on, guys? What's up, Bradley? Glad to have you here with us. Nate, uh, I know this has been a long conversation over the last two weeks. What are your yeah. thoughts about what shape the game will take? Yeah, well, it's going to be on TV, and there's going to be humans in the stands and not like specifically invited ones like last year, right? So they have to do something which means that I think given the limitations that they have on the offensive line, we've discussed it here previously on the show. Uh, and there's plenty of stuff out there now to, to really, if you, if you've missed that, you can dig in on it. They just don't have very many offensive linemen available for this game uh, or this spring. So what I would anticipate is basically what James Franklin laid out for the first scrimmage that they had, which is, you, you do a series with the ones and you take a break. You do you do some special teams work in some capacity, um, which honestly is not really something that is a part of the blue white game. Right. Like typically the blue white game is just uh, you, you, you skip really any type of punt return. Um, you don't do kickoffs like all of that kind of stuff. I think they're going to work on that. They're going to do field goals in between series um, just to give that offensive line a break. So you do that. With the ones, take a break, do some special teams, come back with the twos, and really, it'll be the same offensive line, right? And and so, just so on and forth, so forth. Ones, break, twos, break, threes, break, fours, break, um, and, and go from there. See, you know, make the best of it that you can. Is, is the change, so this is an interesting question because there has not been a blue-white game since 2019, but Dave, is the spring game changing anyway outside of depth issues with Penn State and Penn State in particular? Do you think that the classic full scrimmage simulated game is going to continue and come back, or is that kind of done after the last two years? Yeah, that's it's an interesting question. Um, if you look around college football, I think a lot of programs are doing something that is not like a straight scrimmage like what we're used to. Um, granted, T. Frank, I'm not as football maniacal as you are, but just from what I've been able to catch on on Twitter and whatever, it doesn't seem like that's what most programs are doing. So um, with that in mind, it, it does kind of seem like, you know, maybe that might be the new normal, which I know is the phrase that we love so much um, after the pandemic. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see what type of, of long-term um, impact this has for Penn State. Uh, certainly, James Franklin is the kind of – he's a pragmatic guy, right? So James Franklin is going to do what makes sense. He's not going to do what is traditional just because it's traditional. You know, he's going to think about it, and he's going to take a pragmatic approach. So I will uh, – I definitely think that's a great question. I, I don't – I don't know that we have the answer right now, but it does seem to be trending in a certain direction. Our buddy Night Raven is super interested in uh, in having that, Nate. He's, can I uh, can I just can I just respond to that very sure, quickly? Sure. The, the for as long as I've been alive, I, I mean, I came to blue white games when I was in middle school, high school. Right, the blue white game is eternally a minor league baseball game. Right, like <laughs> yeah, there's a carnival outside. There's there's literally a carnival outside. There's hot dogs. There's T-shirts thrown into the stands. Dizzy bat race. Like, it is about everything but the football on the field because they know, look, 
there is a value to be had for the players and the coaches, right? There's new coaches on staff, right? Manny Diaz, this will be his first. Um, now, granted, they had a scrimmage in Beaver Stadium, but a simulated with fans in the stands type of game atmosphere. It's a it's a dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So there there is Boy, value to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. I'm sorry, Dave. I'll shut up. I'm done. I'm done. The no, point no, is, it's, it's, it's always... That. It's always been boring. Like it's it's never been it's never been about the entertainment factor. The entertainment factor it's is It's the all first the other 10 stuff. minutes. It's the first 10 minutes of the blue white game is interesting. After that it becomes practice and, and and Nate you are the expert when it comes to things James Franklin has said, but one thing stuck out to me a couple of years ago and I don't know if it was 2021 or if it was previous to that before the pandemic, but he kind of emphasized the fact that, you know, this is a practice for us, right? So, like, yep. you get to come to watch the blue-white game, and we, we, you know, we're happy that this event is happening. But for us, it's another practice. It's another evaluation point, And it's not more or less than that. So it's always been that, right? Yeah, I I do think that they they are able to take something from it in terms of look there, there's some pressure there's some pressure involved right like it's not it's not the same set of data as you're getting from a normal tuesday spring practice right like there, there's a little more stakes to it in terms of the butterflies in stomachs for the actual players but but it's still it's still just part of the whole and so i i, I really do think that um, you know, it's it's an instructive exercise, but it, it's more than anything. It's a reward for players and their families. They get to spend some time together. They have a big picnic usually after the fact. Um, you know, it, it it's fine. Micah Parsons will be there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Pat Framuth is, I think he announced Pat Framuth is coming. That's that's the news. Yeah. That's the blue white game. Uh, so Infused Music Band says, heck with that. Get T Frank out there in pads. I hope you're not talking about me playing left tackle. Because uh, that's not going to happen. Listen, there is a version of me about five years ago that would have been crazy enough to be like, yes, I will do that. But not the current form of me. I have been Wait. sitting in this chair too long. T. Frank, didn't didn't you win the, the punt catching contest? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I was trying to find the video of that uh, recently because there was a conversation on the BWI message board where they were asking who would win if we all ran the 40 and I got zero votes and I was like, I have the, first off, I'm the youngest person there outside of, uh, Greg. And like, I have athletic bona fides, Dave, Dave, I am sorry. I, uh, you were not on the chat. That's the thing. Ah, Like you were not, you were not one of the people tagged in the chat. So I wasn't considering you in this particular conversation. But yeah, I was trying to pull up my bona fides and I couldn't find the video of the punt catching competition, which was a huge bummer because that was clearly my shining athletic moment of my life. If uh, if Alex Butterworth had not given me such a bad punt, I could have been involved. I could have I could have done better. You got that. listen, you got to read the ball in the air and get there, man. You got to read nobody- the ball. Nobody could have gotten to that ball. Devin Hester could not have <laughs> caught that ball. He probably would have been told not to. He would have put up the cross and been like, ah, fire, fire, fire. Um, Jaycon2 asks, what happened to the food vendors? Um, They're there. I'm assuming they'll be back this year. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there's no, there, there's no, there's no mitigation for this, correct? Like, masks aren't a thing. 
Um, cause it's all CDC recommended, do what you will and kind of your own discretion. And I don't think Penn state state college no longer has any sort of mandatory limits. So I think everything should be back to normal, like fully just a blue white game. Come and have fun. Right. Nate. Correct. Yeah. At, at your risk. But, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I think that, I mean, that was the case really for the fall, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's back to back to normal yep. in terms of football. Yep. Yeah, I, I think the only difference is um, if you went inside, you were supposed to have a mask. And I don't think that's in the, fall. the case anymore. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think. Gotcha. Uh, anything else on, on question number one, Nate, Dave? Anything else on the format of the game? No, I mean, you know, the other thing that he said was he pointed or that Franklin said was he kind of pointed toward um, – you know, uh, his early years when Penn State had a real offensive line depth problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there would be guys in like gray jerseys switching sidelines. So if they do do like a traditional two sideline game, that seems like something that could happen um, that needs to happen just from a numbers perspective. So. And then you got offensive linemen running 50 yards between series and, uh, you know, more running for the offensive line. So question number two, Dave. What is question number two on our five questions about what you want to know about the blue-white game? All right. Question number two. What will we see of Penn State's freshman quarterbacks? Ooh, that pairs perfectly with JM here who says, I'll say, watching the blue-white game, Hackenberg was a quarterback. You just see that the offense was not going to be very good. Blue game leading up to 2016, you could tell the offense looked different. It was literally different. It was a different offense. So, yes, it did very much look different. So, guys, value in the young quarterbacks, value in evaluation of what we see on Saturday. Uh, I'll lead off with you, Nate. What What are your thoughts on uh, the young quarterbacks? What you want to yeah, see? No, I yeah, I, I mean, I want to see them. I, I I would be surprised if Sean Clifford gets a ton of run, right? Like uh, maybe a series. I, I don't know. There have been there have been blue white games in the past where uh, I think I'm remembering this correctly. You know, Trace McSorley maybe had one series might might not have played at all before his senior year. Um, so no, I think I think there's certainly going to be opportunity. And the difference in this circumstance is. There are no walk-on quarterbacks on this roster this spring. So all of the guys that you're going to see, Vayu, uh, Alar, and Prabula, should be out there, should get plenty of reps. I mean, I you know, I don't know how long we're going to see them play, but yeah. maybe an hour and a half, right? I mean, that, you should get some good work. Uh, well, Dave, you asked the question, so what's the answer, and what do you want to know in that question? Yeah, um, this is pretty much the same as Nate, right? Like, I just want to see these guys. I haven't, you know, I saw um, Bo Prabula at a 11 on, or no, it wasn't an 11 on 11. It might've been a seven on seven camp at, at Penn State. But outside of that, you know, I haven't seen uh, Drew Alar in person. I haven't seen Bo Prabula in person. So I think just getting that baseline, um, just to kind of know, you know, we're, we're not going to learn everything about them um, in, in the hour, hour and a half that we're going to get. But it'll be nice to kind of get a baseline for for what they look like on the football field, what they're capable of, um, how they've kind of um, developed within the scope of Penn State's offense so far. Um, so it, that that to me should be a really instructive part of this. Uh, you know, I'm not expecting either of them to set the world on fire by any means, um, but it, it, it'll definitely be good to just see who they are and what they can do. Well, if they did, that would be arson. 
Uh, so John says, <laughs> okay, big question. Who is the actual number nine, which, you know, bleeds into the conversation about the, the freshman quarterbacks. I This has been very confusing, Nate. This has been very confusing this spring with two number nines on the roster at the same position. The one thing I picked up on, and I don't know if this is going to hold over until the spring, and until the, the blue-white game to end spring, but Christian Veyu was wearing a visor. He had yeah. the, the clear face shield, and Prabula did not. Other yeah. than that, roughly the same height, because I don't know if you can tell about three inches of difference and about yeah. 15 pounds of muscle. Like It is hard to tell when you're you know, 200, 300 yards away. But uh, I've had times when I'm looking at them in person, and I have a hard time distinguishing which one is which. So it is very confusing, but I'll tell you, the, the first number nine you see out with the offense, the number twos, that is Christian Veyu. Do we have any clarity that's, on if that's, that's exactly gonna right? <laughs> Do we have any clarity if that's going to change or like what's the deal there, Nate? I mean, I was gonna, I was, I was gonna make a joke there that if, if, uh, if he's not the first number nine that's out there on the field, there's a good chance that Christian Veyu isn't in the stadium and he's on his way to a different university. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, I think it is a very, very safe assumption. I, I, you know, look like. You can't have two nines on the field at the same time, obviously, and there's no reason for them to. So yeah. I don't see it changing, honestly. I, it, there's no lion position like, anymore with any of these guys either, right? I mean, there's no yeah. Will Levis, Tommy Stevens type that is the hyper athlete. They're all good athletes, but none of them come in with the profile uh, of those guys. So, yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter. So it's not going yeah. to change. I think I think Tyler Warren is the only multi, right, like slash mm-hmm. Um, at least, at least within the offense, and then Marquise Wilson, we'll see, right? I mean, we'll see what happens in terms of his flexibility between defensive back and, and offense. But like, the, the point remains, um, nine should not be an issue for them you, this season. You know, Tyler Warren played quarterback in high school. I've heard people say <laughs> it was literally every single time he came on the field in the Wildcat uh, last season. So anytime we reference that particular thing, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, he, he played quarterback in high school. Uh, so then I, I think the thing that I'm interested in seeing with the young quarterbacks is they're they're going to be because of the depth issues on the offensive line operating with a pretty good set of players up front. Like, by default, they have to have guys that are in the two deep protecting them. So then it becomes, what does this advanced look from Bo Prabula early in his career versus what we're hearing, uh, the kind of the difference between the two? I want to see that in action of, is it because Prabula is more decisive? Is it because he's more mobile and he's making more plays that flash? You know, not necessarily running, but when you scramble and you break the pocket, that is, there's a kinetic energy to that that people take advantage of, or they, they take notice of. And if you're a quarterback like Drew Aller, who can do those things, but he's much more of a pocket manipulator, that's less noticeable because the whistle blows anytime anyone's even close to you. So, like, what is the difference between the two as far as what we've heard of Perula taking kind of the early lead? And then, I think you guys are right, just general assessment of who they are within the offense. That's going to be something I want to see. And then I'm going to extend this conversation out, gentlemen, to how does the offense look? Because we talked a lot about this uh, this week. Last week, Sean Clifford spoke to the media. And this is year two in the offense for the entire team. So 
What's the crispness level like? What is the precision of the players that are playing? Does it look tangibly different than it did a year ago? Are yep. you expecting that, Nate? Yeah, yeah I mean, look, like I think that um, false starts, right? Like, and this goes back to the quarterbacks as well. Those the the true freshman quarterbacks. Can you can you? look the part like op operate the offense right uh procedure penalties like all all of those different things that i think at times impacted not just quarterback position but the offense as a whole last season are all there to be evaluated right do they, do they have a do they have a receiver who can uh make a play in space right like yeah <laughs> I, I mean i i think i think that there's lots to be seen based on comfort level. Keandre Lambert-Smith talked about it this past week that everyone, it's just, there's a difference between something that you feel like you know and you think you know, but there's just that fraction of a second where you doubt yourself versus it being second nature. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked we've talked all the time about this being a performance, right? Uh, there, there is a phase where you're not reading lines anymore. You're acting. Yeah. You're right? off like, book. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so <laughs> were I you think, an actor, Nate? Did you, did you do plays? Were you on oh, stage? I may have dabbled. I may have dabbled. <laughs> that is the, well, that, that is a thespian thing to say. I dabbled in doing plays. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, whatever. We don't need to. We don't need to go looking for uh, old clips of that. So, in any case, in any case, <laughs> once it once it becomes second nature, though, that's that's when you're in business. And I, I you know, look like, is this anywhere close to a simulated environment of Penn State, Michigan State? No, but it's it's close enough where certainly the coaches are going to expect them to be able to. Like, hey, rapid rapid fire, right? Like, no delay of games. Yep. None, none of that. Keep, uh, keep it going. Guys, we have to give a round of applause. Help me out here. Nick, T. Frank, Nate, Dave, just subscribed to Blue White Illustrated. Expect to get my Excited to get my eyes on some premium content. Head over to Lion's Den message form and absorb all the stuff that's in there for you, Nick. But while you're here, stay here, and we'll give you some of the context and maybe some of the things that uh, you can go preview there later. So thanks, Nick, for coming over and being a part of Blue White Illustrated. It's super, super excited to have you on. Um, so the next question, I got all excited about uh, about Nick here, and I got to get where, where are we? Okay, Dave, what's our next question? All right. Um, question number three, will Adisa Isaac and Sal Wormley play a part? And if so, how much action will they see? He's getting, uh, we're going to start having you do voiceovers, Dave. You're getting very good mm. at this, this title reading wow. thing. So let's start with a really good, like baritone too. you yes, know, you... like really bring it down. Um, <laughs> we got to get you a better mic so that you can get really those rich tones. Okay. So take us through that. What, uh, what are you expecting in that? And what's the value of those guys playing? Sure. So, um, I think they will play. I think they will have their reps limited. Um, just because that kind of seems to be what's going on for them in spring practice right now in general. Um, you know, uh, I'm, and, and as far as the value, I mean, it's just getting back out there for these guys, right? I mean, both of these guys are 
players who we expect to be key contributors for Penn State in the fall. Um, and they missed all of last season. So um, whatever kind of rhythm that you can jumpstart for them by getting them out there in this game, um, whatever kind of confidence you can generate for them in this game is going to be really important because Penn State needs these guys. These guys aren't like, okay, if they come back and they help us, then great. No, like Penn State needs these guys. Yeah, Adisa Isaac especially. um, And we'll get to more about the defensive end position in a little bit. So, Nate, when it comes to Sal Wormley, you were talking about this. We've talked about this quite a bit. Um, What's the importance of just seeing him play football for you to evaluate what you're expecting out of him, seeing as he was a guy that James Franklin chronicled as a starter who's coming on playing very well, and then they lost for the season. So how much is it important for you to just see what that looks like from Sal Wormley? Yeah, I don't, I don't care about this game for him. I mean, Adisa is, is closer, I think to, to that, right. To, To being at a point where he should, given the nature of what, we're going to make some assumptions here. The injury was for him. Um, Tim Frazier suffered something similar mm-hmm. in uh, when he was a Penn State player. So, you know, the the timelines of recovery always change, right? They're always different. But what, what Sal is dealing with and where he's at from his timeline of recovery, it, it honestly should be dramatically different from where he is today to where he'll be in August and where he'll be yeah. in September. So I'm, I don't, have a prediction honestly for for what to to make of those guys if they play um but i I just i just think it's not it's not really worth reading into given the fact that um you know time is always of the essence when dealing with recovery from an injury and i think that's the case here and I, it's important to phrase this as well as salim wormley is one of the players that's participating in spring but he's not participating and James Franklin talked about this, of they're doing everything but going live so far. They've limited the reps with Isaac and with Wormley, and they're not going live. So when we talk about the offensive line injuries, the depth, and this is something I get into on the BWI Daily Edition today, but I didn't bring this part up of, even if you see Sal Wormley on the depth chart, he's not one of the guys that's going and when they're doing scrimmages. So if you lose and I use the example of this later, you lose three players. Like, let's just say James Franklin is saying, in hyperbole, we basically have one offensive line. You lose three players to injury for a couple of weeks. Well, that means you you lost four, actually, because Wormley's not participating in these live reps. So you see the issue here when they had 11 players on the offensive line to start. Like, they had exactly two offensive lines, and any player you lose, you are now into fifths of the second offensive line or of the first offensive line. So it does that that should kind of paint you into where Penn State is this spring with depth on and, and just bodies available, which is not to excuse, place blame, or anything. Just explain the situation. Um, anything else with these two guys uh, that you want to, before we move on? Yeah, I think we can. I think we can turn the page. <laughs> All right. Well, then Bradley asks, "What NIL deal programs is PSU working on for the athletes to help recruiting?" Two, 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 two questions that just kind of land on their face, huh? In a row. Uh, but this one is more telling, I think, than the first one. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen it, and that's a problem. It just is. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, until 
until there. I mean, look, like there's going to be a um, there is going to be a meet and greet, autograph signing, what have you, right? That um, that success with honor that collective is putting together for after the blue white game, I believe it is. They're expecting a, a you know a, a decent amount, I think, of. Penn State players last year, you saw it during the season. Jahan Dotson and Clifford did one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Clifford obviously has his own thing going. Um, but no, I mean, it just it it just has not, there has not been the, and maybe, maybe right, like there's always a possibility that something is happening mm-hmm. that uh, is of value, right? But like, it's I'm going to tell you why, I'm going to tell you why that's not the case. Mm-hmm. The reason the reason why that's a possibility but isn't happening is because they want as much exposure to the notion of there being donors for Penn State football as they possibly can get so that other people feel the same and do the same thing. So if there was anything in the works for all of Penn State's offensive linemen, right, or all of Penn State's quarterbacks or whatever to have a deal where, you know, they make what ten thousand dollars a year? So, something, something. Yeah. Um. That would be publicized. That would be very, very publicized, and it's not. So it's not happening. It's not there. So they need to work. They need to continue to work on those things and get them up and running. So there, there's there's another part of this conversation I want to ask you about this, Dave. Um. When it comes to NIL and that part of competitive and recruiting, I think that's kind of one thing. But Nate, you mentioned. Autograph signing after the game, and one of the things that I'm I'm going to reserve this to children, okay? Because if you're an adult, I don't I don't have as much sympathy for you as if you're ten. Where you used to be go you you used to be able to go through the line and get an autograph of any player that you wanted for a certain period of time after the game. Dave, is that over? And is that sort of access for fans, young fans? Is that part? over do you think yeah um <laughs> i don't know it seems possible it seems like and and do we know how much they're charging um for the autograph sessions like you know uh because that seems like important context but just yeah. yeah i mean i think there's an element of this where it, it does take away some of like the t- traditional stuff that we're used to and yeah. comfortable with whether this specifically applies that scenario, I'm not totally sure, but you know, it, it, it's, it, things are different. Things are going to be different. College athletics is going to be different. And that's something that I think Penn state fans have to get comfortable with. Um, I don't necessarily think that that means if you see, you know, Sean Clifford in, you know, downtown on college Ave and you ask for his autograph that he's going to pull a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and tell you absolutely not. Right. You know? Right. Um, NFL players right. still sign autographs for people whenever, sure. you know? Yeah. Um, but, but definitely um, I do think some of those traditions and some of those things that we just kind of think of um, might be headed out the window. So Dan, thanks for watching. Appreciate you. Uh, he is apparently from uh, my hometown. So that's always fun. Uh, but yeah, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you being here. Um, got another question from Nick. We'll get to this one quickly because we got to get to the rest of your questions. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dave, uh, but as always, if you want to ask a question, we're going to be weaving them in here on the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Uh, if you want to send a super chat, uh, we always appreciate those. Got one already today. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I forget at the moment who that was, but it's always appreciated. Uh, and of course, if you are watching it and having a good time talking Penn State football with us as we preview the spring game, make sure you uh, like the video. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to Blue White Illustrated. Nick asks, with KLS and Washington starting each of the last two years, is there truth to the fact that the starting wide receivers with Tinsley have more snaps as a group than the past years uh, in combined? I, was think, I think he's assuming is there going to be more cohesiveness with this group than there has been in the past and, and more from Lambert Smith and Parker Washington? Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's cohesiveness, right, because you're adding a piece in Tinsley who like, yeah, they all have significant career reps but mm-hmm. they haven't all been career reps together. So yeah. the, the the deal here is you, you have a certain expectation from Parker Washington given the conclusion of his last season, right? Yeah. Like he, he he showed that he can be a star, I, I think, right? Um, Jahan Dotson's star, to, to be determined, but very good. Uh, Tinsley is a guy who just has to translate to this level, yep. right? It's just, it's, it's different. Western Kentucky and the Big Ten are not, not the same thing. It doesn't mean that he can't have success and make that leap, but to be determined. And then Keandre Lambert Smith is, yeah, like that's, that's an interesting storyline that he has as many reps and as many on-field snaps as he had last year. And it can lead you to one of two conclusions, right? One is, okay, he's had all of this experience. And now that the, uh, urge right for Sean Clifford to get the ball to Jahan Dotson is gone maybe the ball is spread around a little bit more more opportunities equal more receptions for him yeah or Or more consistency of his role too because he turned into a pretty threatening deep target but it was very inconsistent as far as game to game you didn't know if he was going to catch the ball you didn't know if he was going to get the target you didn't know if he was going to get open so I agree, you know, as far as not just the volume, but the efficiency of said role. Well, and what's what's his what's his effectiveness in in that role? I mean, I, yep. I guess we're saying the same thing, but, uh, it, you know, I, are you concerned that for 700 reps or whatever it was last season, it was a high number uh, that there were only 30 receptions for Keandre Lambert Smith? Does that does that suggest that he wasn't open? Does that suggest that he wasn't an option for Sean Clifford to get the ball to? I don't, yeah. I don't know, I, you know, but I think that that's something that, um, you, you know, we're, we're going to see, we're going to see from him and we're going to see from all that collection of guys. There are a stable of players who all have an opportunity to kind of thrust themselves into the conversation, just kind of like it at running back where, Hey, who, who is going to force the issue to say you cannot keep me off the field. Yep. We're going to get to that right now. We're going to get to that right now because I promise you guys every single week, we're definitely going to save enough time to talk about hoops. We're definitely going to get to it. We're not going to save it for three minutes at the end. So we got to get to the next question. Dave, next question. And I think it's a great segue from what Nate just said. (laughs) Question number four. What can we glean from Penn State's running back situation? (laughs) He's getting better at it, Nate. I love it. 
Yeah. So what yeah, can we, what can we glean from that, Dave? Uh, yeah, to be determined, right? Um, <laughs> I think that's a place where <laughs> I should right I should have realized you ask these questions because you want to know the answers to them, yeah, not that you I, have the answers to them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's a place where we don't have a ton of like clarity as to what the hierarchy is right mm-hmm. now. Um, I think where, um, you know, in, in certain other places on the field where we don't know the starter, we're, we're getting some hints from James Franklin and some of the other players and coaches we talked to. It doesn't really feel like that's been the case at running back. So um, obviously when you have a five-star, you know, all-world guy like Nick Singleton um, coming into a unit where, let's be honest, they underperformed, um, that's going to be something to watch. So yeah. for me... Um, I want to see what Nick Singleton looks like. I want to see what Katron Allen looks like. I want to see what the guys are coming back look like. But I'm also interested to see if we can like maybe get some clues as to what they're thinking there. Um, because I'm not sure that we've gotten a ton of those to this point, at uh, least publicly. Nate, do you agree not to not to try and contradict Dave, but do you have a different read of the situation? And then if so, what what is it? I, I just think that that moves don't happen as like a a thing, right? As though there's this sudden pivot where Nick Singleton has surpassed uh, whatever, Keziah Holmes, right? In in the seventh practice of of spring practices. Like that's not how it works, at least not that I've ever seen. So no, I mean, I think think that you continue the process. And so the, the guys who have flashed and who have shown an ability to potentially do that in the fall? Yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna shuffle that around after the spring, yeah. right? And go into go into preseason practice with maybe a little bit different of an order than you would have had at the end of spring practice. But or, I don't I don't, or maybe not even a different order, but a different percentage of sure. snap distribution. Totally, yeah, hundred percent. So so no, I think I think that though it's an open. It's an open possibility, and that's what they want. That's what that's what the program wants. They, they've been talking about it at, at so many other positions, but you want these guys to feel as though no one has a job. And yeah, a lot of times that is lip service. A lot of times it's just a, a dumb thing to say because you know who the starter is, and they're returning to that starting job, and they're very overwhelmingly likely to not be really threatened to lose that job. Rashid yep. Walker was a great example of that last year, right? Yep. Like there was no possibility that he was going to lose that job. Yep. Well, uh, is that true of Kevon Lee? Right. Maybe, right? Like maybe it's a little, maybe it's a little less certain. I, I, I would still anticipate him to be the starter, uh, the first running back to get carries, but yep. how it works after that is, is very much to be determined. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be more of that this I'd say summer and and in the fall because especially on the offensive line for the first time ever you might have three guys that you like at uh the guard center position or four instead of having exactly three so DeSal Wormley, Hunter Norzad, Juice Scruggs, Landon Tangwall like there are four guys on the interior with JB Nelson being very talented which yep. one of those five, you can only play three, and then what percentage of snaps are, is somebody losing to get the other guy on the field if they want to do that? Um, it's I, I liken it to this, and we'll get to the next question after this. So yesterday, 
I had random weird back pain. And it's not like it just happened. Like you injure your back and all of a sudden there's a sort of event. That's if you have an injury. And then all of a sudden you're starting a different running back. I biked over uh, to do something like, a, you know, we only have one car. doesn't matter. I was biking the day before and um, it was the first time in a long time. And progressively over the morning, all of a sudden I have back pain. But it didn't just happen. So that's how I kind of view the running back situation is progressively Nick Singleton or Katron Allen or Devin Ford or somebody, if they make a move, you're going to feel it. And all of a sudden, then you're like, oh, okay, now something, now there is an event where previously it was kind of that crescendo. And I didn't do that just to complain about having a bad back because I don't want to th- feel like I'm that old. Last question, Dave, save me from my terrible analogies. Okay, um, I lost my list, but um, basically it's what will Manny Diaz's defense look like at this point? Pretty broad. Um, but yeah, you know, first look at Manny Diaz. What's different? What's not? So I think that leads very well into this conversation as well. Sorry, I'm trying to do two or three things at once here. Um it's just finding a place well, for these let, things let, is not... Let me answer. Hey, please. Let me answer why please. you do that. The answer is nothing. <laughs> the answer is nothing. You're not going to see any bit or piece of Manny Diaz's of Manny Diaz's defense in this game. Uh, he is... He likes to do... He likes to shake things up. Am I wrong, T. Frank? Is that not the... Right? Like, they're going to do yeah. different things... He likes to be aggressive. The spring game is not a place to do any of those things. That's exactly and so, right. And so you're not going to see anything. Like, babe, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't want to steal our thunder here, but if you take much out of the blue-white game, you're doing it wrong. I think that there's, That's- from from the coordinator perspective, I'm not expecting to see anything. Now, when we were at the, you know, when the media was able to see the practice and you saw some fans out there at the practice... I actually thought we saw more than I was expecting from Brent Pry in 2021 when they had the limited openings. Because um, usually in in football terms, what you're going to see is you're going to see cover two and then you're going to see cover three. And it's like kindergarten painting with numbers sort of things from the defense. You're not going to see to what Nate's point is. You're not going to see the sub packages. You might see the personnel, but they're going to be running very vanilla things out of it. So if you want to glean certain basic information that's what it's going to be from what i try to take away from the blue white game is okay so what player played well individually what corner got toasted what player i remember thinking mac hippenhammer was going to be great because he did very well in the blue white game and he was at that point doing very well in football it's just that baseball slowed that growth and then obviously changed his his prerogative (laughs) So like, but there there are things to glean. He was at one point a good football player on the rise for Penn State, and then obviously you saw next to him KJ Hamler was also doing something very special. That's just a random sort of like one thing that sticks out of my mind. So I usually try to go individual players because they're playing very basic things, and that who's playing fast, who is has some sort of grasp of what they're supposed to be doing especially as we mentioned here with Manny Diaz on the defensive side of the ball Dave I'll broaden this out a little bit are there any individual players you're interested in seeing on the defensive side 
I just want to say that blaming baseball for McNip and Hammer not being awesome is the most football guy thing you have ever done. Okay. Um, all right. You know, all right. That was not what I was like, saying. That was not what I said, <laughs> but I'll agree that was that was pretty weak sauce. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, um I maybe a little bit of an under the radar pick for me is Jonathan Sutherland, mm-hmm. who has had his position tweaked. Um, I think the linebackers in general are interesting um, just because, you know, uh, we don't know a ton about um, what Jonathan Sutherland's going to do there. Um, we don't know technically who the middle linebacker is going to be yet. Um, Curtis Jacobs is is playing a new role. So um, obviously yep. you saw that in the bowl game. But yep. again, um, we'll get to see it again. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of like and again, that's that's Manny Diaz's position, right? He's the yep. linebackers coach. So. Um, I think that just unit as in general is, is something that I think we should be watching closely. That's a, and that's a great way to phrase what I was trying to say earlier is how does, that's a great example of how does Curtis Jacobs look, does he look comfortable in his new position? Because the main takeaway I get from fans was Curtis Jacobs was terrible in the bowl game. He can't play the will. Why is he there? And he's like, it was three weeks of practice he got as opposed to three weeks of practice, all off-season, studying the position, doing things in spring, how does it look now, and how does that, on a timeline, look as he heads towards the fall? That's a very important, I think it's a very distinct thing to do, uh, to talk about. So, Dave, thank you very much for those questions. Let's move on to our next topic. We're going to go through this quickly, uh, because we got to get fo- to, to basketball. I'm not going to Matt Damon this again. Um, you didn't... You didn't ask me who I want to see. I don't care. We're gonna. You're gonna oh. talk. You're gonna talk now about Zariah Fisher. I'm throwing it to you. You broke. Right. The, you you broke the news for Blue White Illustrated uh, last week that Zariah Fisher was done for the season. So, what is the impact here of losing a defensive end at uh, this time of the season? Yeah, just uh, to clarify, overwhelmingly likely, but not humanly okay. impossible to be right so just for whatever it just it makes me feel better uh what's the impact it, it hurts i think i mean that was already a position that penn state needed guys who could flash and make splash plays and i think that zariah fisher was trending in that direction um so so yeah to, to lose to lose that element to lose that option i think is is difficult uh for penn state moving forward Given the the depth of that position and what they need out of it, um, what did he represent to you on the roster, Dave? Because this is a very interesting player. The position aside, which is also critical, given the lack of depth, the player himself is also an interesting uh, kind of an enigma. So to Dave, to Dave here, what did you think of Fisher and what he represented for the team? Yeah, I mean... Again, depth guy, but I think Penn State has like an assortment of guys at at defensive end where it's like you hope that one of them works out and and can give you valuable reps. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think they're kind of like missing out on one of those options now that he's he's no longer available. Um, and for a guy who seemed to kind of be getting it right, um, you know, he was starting to see the field a little bit, uh, and and you know, and was making the the transition from linebacker just on like a personal um, development note. Like, yeah, that's rough for him. I definitely feel bad for him. The The timing of this is unfortunate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, it's catastrophic for Penn State. Um, I know they just, you know, they added a, 
the transfer defensive end from from Maryland, uh, Damian Robinson. Yes, I forget his last name. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, so, you know, um, they 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 have reinforced that position a little bit, and and now they go out and they 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 lose one. So, not the end of the world, I don't think, but but obviously not a good thing. Yeah, and to me, what he represented on the roster was potential and upside yep. because you you know what and the funny thing is I'm going to reference Nick Tarburton in this conversation if you know what Nick Tarburton is and James Franklin talked about him when mentioning the defensive end position and the need for pass rushes he's going to wear you out with effort intensity hustle we need to work on his pass rushing moves Zariah Fisher is a similar player but offers the potential of upside because we know a little bit less about him uh, but the good news is Nick Tarburton's on the roster because if there's one player that can help a former linebacker transitioning to defensive end that will most likely or could probably miss the entire season due to an injury and slow his development at the position and in football, it'd be the guy who went exactly through that scenario in his career. Uh, so that is, uh, at least I, I think from a personal level with Zariah Fisher, helpful that he has Nick Tarburton there. Bradley asks the question of the next thing on the rundown that we were going to have to get through very quickly, guys. Uh, no signing off without talking about the E60 Paterno documentary tonight. Really want to hear you guys' thoughts on Joe Pa. So, Nate, you wrote a whole article about it. You watched it. What were your thoughts on the documentary um, and what it what it represents? Yeah, I think it. I think they. Uh, and again, like this is the Cliff's notes, but ESPN as an entity in this documentary doesn't really take a side, mm -hmm. and so I think for Penn State fans who have soured, you know, right, like ESPN was became part of the story to yeah. a lot of people, right, during the everything that happened, and so I think that. The fact that this documentary goes for 60 minutes and really allows the people who were impacted, right? Like the main stakeholders in this yeah. story, obviously absent Joe Paterno, but Graham Spanier, Gary Schultz, um, right? Like Jay Paterno, you've got this kind of laundry list of people who were primary and central to that story. Talk, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you just, we haven't heard from them. And so the, the actual... The actual people are looking at this as I, I think from the outside are looking at it as okay, well, what are they going to dig up now? What, right. what is what is ESPN looking for? Right, they're not looking for anything. And it's also they're, a little bit. It's also a little bit, and, I, and I'm careful here with another terrible analogy, but it's like if your house were on fire and somebody comes over and starts pouring gasoline on it and then 10 years later comes back and examines your house and went, let's discuss the story of this house being on fire. I think right. that's how Penn State fans feel about the situation 10 years ago, and now ESPN is, is retroactively being what I think they thought they should have been the first time around. Is that, all, is that a fair way to read that? Yeah, I mean, I, I and and I'm not here to come to the defense of ESPN, but when you look at the footage of how things spiraled and how things became a media frenzy, it wasn't 25 ESPN cameras, right? Yeah. The the horde around Joe Paterno, the horde around everyone and everything during that saga was everyone. It, mm -hmm. it was a national story of national interest that. And they talk about it a little bit. That That is addressed how things really, like it was a crescendo of, hey, this is Jerry Sandusky. Then it becomes Penn State University, including Tim Curley, Graham Spanier, Gary Schultz. 
Then it becomes Penn State football. Then it because some of these things are alleged to have happened right during Jerry's time as a football coach. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes Joe Paterno, right? And so by the time it got to, to, to Joe Paterno, obviously it became this huge tsunami um, of a story. And so, you know, like I, the overwhelming part of it, I, I've seen it just for the record. Uh, I, the overwhelming portion of time is spent just kind of reflecting on what happened, how it all happened. But the last segment gives an opportunity for everyone, fans, students, uh, all of those people that we just talked about to, uh, to, to talk about what they consider Joe Paterno's legacy to be today. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is it 10 years after the fact? Um, and I, and to me, and you know, I'll be interested to see how Penn state fans consume it and digest it. Um, but to me, it's, it's an obvious softening, mm-hmm. right? Everything was so visceral yes. in, in that time. And, People were were rightly upset. People were, you know, like this, the subject matter itself was so horrifying that you couldn't help but be emotional about it yeah. and look look for people um, to 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 kind of direct that anger. And I think ten years later, this documentary, for what it's worth, for whoever consumes it, will kind of stand and serve as, hey, time time lessens these things time diminishes the hurt and uh you know some of the anger that i think publicly was attached to it so if you want to get more in depth obviously you can watch the documentary tonight and also read nate's article over at bluewhiteillustrated.com a a very good read and and one that i wanted to spend more time on today but of course that's how this works here at the end of the show we do have to move on to basketball because both of you speaking of bluewhiteillustrated.com had awesome articles interviewing transfers in the transfer portal heading into penn state men's basketball so dave you spoke to cameron winter from drexel what was your conversation with him like and what were the main things you took away from that conversation yeah, um, Cam was great. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Cam. Um, he likes Cam, by the way. Um, okay. So I guess that's what we're rolling with. But um, yeah, so I mean, the, the main thing that he emphasized when I just kind of asked him about his game and, and how he fits that maybe wasn't as evident on some of the highlight tapes you see of him is that he he's a playmaker, right? Like this is a guy who can pass the ball. Um, so, you know, Penn State needs points. Um, with winter, I think they're getting points, but they're also getting a guy who can create for other people. Um, and when you pair that with Jalen Pickett, who I think is, is, is similar. Um, I, I think you've got two pretty dynamic guards. So yeah. Um, I think, uh, just after talking to him, I, I, I it, it's clear that there's another dimension to his game, um, that maybe wasn't highlighted before from from what we saw on tape so somebody who can uh not just get to the bucket or score in the pick and roll game but can also distribute and take advantage of some of those uh situations where guys get open and there's there's open shots he can get the ball to them is that what andrew funk can be on the flip side and is that a way he fits in the offense nate and what did you when you talked to him what was your sense of him as the person and how he fits into the offense yeah, I think I think he's he is older, right? And that's a huge piece of this is for both of those guys is they've played a ton of basketball and they bring that to a locker room that has some other older elements, but is also going to have this huge influx of younger um, true freshmen. Uh, what he does is shoot, 
Uh, it does. And, <laughs> and you know, the conversation, the like, I, I mean, really shoots. Like, took 460-some shots yeah. uh, in his senior year at Bucknell. So, is a volume, volume shooter. Hit, I think, 37% of his threes. He took, like, 200-some threes, 233 uh, last year. I, ex- I expect all of this stuff, right? So, for Cam and for, for Funk they're not going to duplicate those numbers, right? Yeah. Because they're not going to be on the floor as much. Um, you know, but can they give you 15, 20 minutes a game each? Yeah, definitely. And that's that's a huge piece of this is to, to have more options, um, to have guys who can give you a jolt and give, you know, provide you the opportunity uh, to score more points. Um, you know, I don't know really from either one, what to anticipate defensively. I don't think you're getting a stopper necessarily Mm -hmm. in either one of these guys, but uh, you you know, look like we're talking about a team who returns in Seth Lundy, a guy who, who is an elite defender, right. uh, But doesn't have John Hera, like the, the, the option for Micah Shrewsbury to rely solely on defense as being kind of this thing where like, hey, we're just not going to let you score. We're going to grind the game. They're not. He's not uh, going to try and make it as ugly as possible next year because there's more avenues to victory. Is that what you're saying? I'm I'm saying that's maybe not the avenue to victory. Like gotcha. I'm saying he might not have that option of hey, we're just going to bleed everyone to death and hope that it's a 68 or excuse me, a 60 to 58 game and win it that way. I think he knows. I think they know that they're going to have to put points on the board. They, they got to get into the, the mid to high 60s, at least in scoring average for Big Ten games if they plan to win. And, uh, this is all contingent, too, on if they get a transfer at, at their big position, right? So that, that could also change the fabric of the team, or are the guards and what we're talking about here, is that so different than last year? Dave... Okay. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wasn't sure. I, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's that much different. Um, okay. I, I think that Penn state has now more offensive ability than it did last year on the perimeter. Um, they have less offensive ability than it did last year than they did last year on the interior. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe, um, you kind of see a shifting in how they're getting their points. Um, but, you know, again, I really, Nate and I both kind of think that they are going to get that big guy. It's just a matter of, of who it is. Yeah. Um, but that that's important when it comes to how their guards are getting points because their guards are creating separation and creating mismatches in that pick and roll game, which that big man will be fundamental to. Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of hard to to parse them. Um, you know, they'll probably score some more points. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know if they're going to come out of their shell totally, but they'll be better offensively. I think. Okay. You're gonna see. You're gonna see a change though, too, Dave, in the offense. Like I, I don't. John Hara doesn't exist. I, I don't right. think in the portal. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not getting John no. Hara. And so without John Hara, what? What do you have to do? What do you want to do? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, to me, it, it will become small ball, and mm-hmm. they they will uh, take and make more threes. Um, you know, but look, like 
we know how this goes, right? It, when when your shooters are inconsistent, then you can live by it and you can die by it. We we have seen this story over and over and over again, and so it's it's just a matter of do you have the pieces in place to make shots because yep. they're probably going to be open and they're not going to be open necessarily just because of John Hara. They're going to be open because Jalen Pickett can get to the basket anytime he wants. Uh, I think the same of Cam Winner, right? Like not not every time he wants, but it, it's it's the same type of concept: uh, drive, kick, shoot, make the ball, and go back and play defense and hope for the best. BWI Live coming here to we're coming into the station. But before we do that, just a couple more minutes here with these basketball transfers. Both Nate and Dave spoke to them. So if you want to check out the full Q&As with those guys, bluewhiteillustrated.com. Are they both starters? Or are we talking about guys that are contributors? How does that sort of mesh? Or is that to be determined, Dave? I think it's to be determined. But I would be surprised if one of them doesn't start. Um, at least at the beginning, because I think what Micah Shrewsbury wants to do is kind of what he did with Dalian Johnson this year with his freshman, which is like, let them earn it, you know, um, whether whether it's in practice or it's it's by being excellent off the bench. Um, so I do I do think the default is kind of be like is going to be a little bit older, at least at the beginning. And I think that probably lends itself to one of Winter or Funk starting. Um mm-hmm. I don't know how Nate feels about that, but that's just kind of my gut feeling. That's not based on any reporting. But yeah, Nate, what do you what do you think? Is it that both of these guys are starting, and and with Miles Dread coming back from injury, does yeah. that is that a part of the conversation where it's it's less of a less of a conversation because they need both of them to play, or is there going to be a little bit of somebody's going to be the sixth man, somebody's going to be rotational? What do you think about that particular construct? I, I think in theory. Winter replaces or acts as a somewhat of a replacement of Sam Sessoms. And I think in theory, Funk acts as a, like a split time with mm-hmm. Miles Dredd. Um, you know, a, sh- a shooter, not like, I don't want to paint him as a specialist, like a just, he only shoots threes, he scores. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a matter of where, you know, how do they want to get him points? You know, is he is he 15, 20 minutes a game? How does that because Miles started half the season and he didn't start half the season, right? Is Dalian Johnson gonna start uh next season? Right? Like I, I think that there's a lot to play around with um in a good way. Figure out. Because you know, listening to this, it's you have five or six options. Are they all good options? This is it's obviously they went out and got these guys because they're they're scorers, but I guess the question then is like, do they do they have six of one thing or do they have like stars and is this a guy, a team of shooters? Like you can have so many different options and they're all kind of the same. If that makes sense. Is, is there is, is Jalen, is Jalen Pickett a star and is Sam or is uh, Seth Lundy a star? And I think that those are questions that are outstanding. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you don't necessarily know with either one of those guys. I, I, certainly, I think that Seth Lundy wants to make a case that he is. And I think that that Pickett's the same. I mean, they both have potential to be stars. And if you have two stars, then you can fill in the gaps with with guys like this. Guys who know their role and do it really, really well. Um, you know, but but do I, do I see Cam or Funk as coming in and serving as like a picket who became a star at the end of the season. No, I don't, I don't 
I don't think so. I don't think that's I don't think that's really the intent. I don't think that's what they need. One star, two ta- two two stars. Almost nailed that. This is a five-star show. BWI Live coming to a conclusion today. Thanks to everybody who participated, who's watching here on YouTube. Um, And if you missed part of the show, it's always available immediately on replay on YouTube. We'll have the audio version, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts as well. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Thanks for sticking with us every Monday at noon. We will be back next week to recap the blue-white game and so much more. We'll talk to you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.